You're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and coming up on tonight's show, our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal, will join us shortly in the studio. And this evening, the focus is going to be on chilli wines. Rosemary Bennis from Sona's Health Food Shop will give us the lowdown on honey. Mina Rust will be on the phone to give us details about her handmade nougat. And finally, at the end of the programme, I'm out and about in Belfast for the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink monthly slot, which is harvest for the month of October. If you'd like to get in touch with me this evening, please drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at Queen of Org, as in Queen of Organisation. And it's always great to hear from you. So, as I said, the first guest this evening is our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal. So, without further delay, let's find out all about wines from Chile. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Ron, welcome back to the studio. Thanks, Sharon. Last month we were talking about Australian wine and tonight we're going to Chile. Yes. Um, it's uh, Chile is Chile wine is so popular in Ireland. Um, it's the number one wine in the country at the moment. It was fighting it out with Australia for a number of years. Uh, it finally took over uh, two years ago, and now it's striding ahead. And Absolutely. why why is that? Is it because of the price? Is it because of quality availability? What's driving all of those it? things? Uh, price is key. Uh, value for money is is um, very important to the Chilean wine producers. And I think the biggest fact is that Chile, um, as a wine producing country, takes Ireland very seriously as a market uh, because it's so good for them that they take it very seriously. Whereas other um, wine producing countries see Ireland as a kind of an extension of the UK and what works in the UK should work in Ireland. And that's not necessarily the case. So is the marketing effort from Chile, is there a more conscious marketing effort there specific to Ireland? Absolutely, because we're number nine um, market the number the ninth market in the world for chili, for wine. and we're a very small country. and we're tiny yeah. like we're in the on the scale of things we're tiny, uh, like we're beating countries like um, you know Denmark with large populations, Switzerland with large populations. We're beating them hands down. Um, and when it comes to marketing spend, then you're getting a lot more exposure for your your money in a smaller concentrated country. Yes, uh, you are. Well, what happens is that, what happened, I suppose, probably about 20 years ago, uh, Chile took a conscious effort to break into the European market, found it pretty difficult to get into France, um, Spain, Italy, because they were so popular, their own wines were so popular. So they looked at the countries that were available. Ireland was a country that had no wine production of their own. Um, The market was a fledgling market, and they came in at a price that was very affordable, with products that the quality was very good and um, brands that people could could find in a number of locations, as in products like Santa Rita, uh, Carmen, Undraga, all these things you'd have seen around in most shops, which means that when people get to like something like Santa Rita 120, which is still a very, very popular product, that it's available in a supermarket, it's available in a corner shop, available in a petrol station. When you go to the pub, you can get a quarter bottle of it. And people get that brand recognition all the time. And they like that. What about sulfates? Because when I think about South American wines and, and Chile, for example, that we're talking about tonight, I often think 
that they are yeah, closely yeah, they associated with sulfates. So just explain what sulfates are first. Well, wine, as you see, when you pour a nice glass of white or red, you'll see how crisp and clear it is. Um, the whites particularly, then the reds as well, you see a nice clean feel from them and they look very uh, attractive. Uh, something needs to filter them because if you take uh, grape juice on its own, it's very cloudy, it's, it's, uh, it's not clean at all. So they use something to filter it and uh, the most effective one is sulfates, which is used uh, to, it, it grasps all the cloudiness out of the product and takes it away. It's used all over the world now. Chile is not unique in that. True or false, that's what gives you the hangover? Now, there's a, people say that all the time to me. Uh, find, to find sulfate-free wine is very, very difficult. Um, and what you have to worry about is if they're not using the sulfates in it, what are they using instead of it? Is it any better than what they're doing? Now, the, the other thing is that it's, it's, um, quantity is a key to these things. Um, Chilean wine is very easy to drink. And a lot of the Chilean wine you drink is drank without food, sitting in a bar, having a quarter bottle or having a glass or whatever it may be. And um, it's, it's a lot of that. I don't think the sulfates have anything else to do with it. I think it's the, probably the occasion that's more than the... It's a very polite way of putting <laughs> it, Ron. It's a difficult <laughs> one to call I must remember it. that <laughs> next time I'm feeling a bit under the weather of a Sunday morning, that it's really the, it's the fault of the occasion. <laughs> yes, but I wouldn't blame them any more than I'd blame any other country for doing the same thing. Well, tell me about the three bottles you brought in for us. They're all red, which is very interesting. They're all red because what I wanted to prove, I wanted to prove a point that most people who drink Chilean wine, if you go out this weekend and either you go into the supermarket or you go into a restaurant where chances are that the house wine will be Chilean, um, and mainly because the quality is, is very good at a price that's affordable. But you'll be drinking something that you'd either buy for seven, eight, nine euros in a shop or in a restaurant for 17, 18, 20 euros kind of mark. People do not trade up that much in Chile. They tend to drink that house wine level. Whereas if you're pushing out the boat slightly, special occasion, you might go back to France or you might pick something from Australia. But I just want to prove the point that those products from Chile, which are fantastic, which move up the price bracket. And I think value for money, even at this upper level, is fantastic. So what I brought in was, I brought in your your starting point which is this uh, a wine called La Paderosa um, a Chilean product that sells really well for us used by restaurants a lot it comes in Merlot Cabernet Sauvignon Blanc very attractive labelling everything about it is nice very easy to drink and very very acceptable and very reasonable and that's key it's a very memorable label that because there's a motorbike on it there's a motorbike on it, which is um, um, La Paderosa means the um, the mighty one or the powerful one, um, which is what Che Guevara called his motorbike. Che uh, Guevara travelled from the uh, all the way down South America, ending up at the very point uh, in Chile, and visited the winery in La Paderosa. This La Paderosa, they called this after him. Um, Louis Philippe Edwards is the is the winery. And La Paderosa was the name of his bike. So that's where it gets the name. So there's a bit of history and a story to that. Yeah, there's a picture in the front of Sheikh Guevara without his head because they couldn't use his head. <laughs> Clever <laughs> for marketing. For various reasons. Clever marketing. <laughs> so it is. But yeah, it's a lovely product. Very, very affordable. Like costing around nine euros a bottle. Um, and it's a lovely product. And it's not in any shops at all. We use it for restaurants and uh, for private customers. We don't let it any supermarkets at all. Okay. And the Vistamar then, that's Vistamar the Vistamar jumps brand. up slightly, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's, this is a, a Pinot Noir, which is a grape variety, you know, which is 
tends to be fairly expensive. From it's originally from France, has worked very well in uh, in California and in New Zealand, but really works well in Chile. Problem when they took it, it's a very difficult grape to grow. The quantities they get, the amount of wine they get from a, a vine is fairly small, so they end up being very expensive. So if you were to get a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, it could probably cost you 18, 20 euros in a shop. Uh, it could be in a restaurant list for 40 euros. Whereas this is a product that you can buy, uh, Pinot Noir, which is an excellent, but nice light red wine for people who don't drink an awful lot of red wine or drinking wine earlier in the day or during the summer. Um, it's an ideal because it's not too heavy. And it's, um, it's costing like 12 euros a bottle. So it's great value. And they're very hard to find products, Pinot Noir, at that price level. And then we move up, we jump up significantly to a product called Vibo, which is from Vumanent. Now I have a whole range of Vumanent right down to Rayuela and products that people may recognize that they've had before. But this is Vibo, their top end. Um, it's a blend of Grenache, Mouverde, Syrah, which is a very French kind of style of a wine. But this product, if you had this from the Cote Rhone in France, which would be a Chateauneuf de Pape blend, the same thing because it's Chateauneuf de Pape. Chateauneuf de Pape costs you about 28 or 29 euros for any one of them, bar some. German supermarkets who sell ones pretty much cheaper. But for a, a recognized uh, Chateau Pepe, we cost you 28, 29 euros minimum. Whereas you can buy this for 15 euros, 16 euros. And it's a fantastic product. I mean, it's smashing. And what's the great variety in that? It's a, it's a Syrah or, or Shiraz, Mouverge, Grenache, which is the same blend that they use to make Chateau de Pape. And in terms of putting them with food then, are any of them standalone that you don't need the nice meal to go with or some of them better with a steak or fish or what would you suggest? Well, we start off with the the, the Merlot. Merlot is a very soft grape variety, so it's quite easy to drink without food. It's the kind of thing you can drink fairly easily without food. But it stands up pretty well to most any kind of red meats as well. The Pinot Noir is uh, for much lighter dishes because it's not that heavy, which means you can't eat anything really heavy with it. It works very well with fish for the people who like drinking red wine but are having fish, uh, especially white, delicate fish. Then the Vivo, that's red meat, steak, something that's going to stand up. Um, but everything about this Vivo is quality. The bottle's heavy, everything is... It does look now better quality like the other two both look great and of course they've got the screw top and we've had this conversation many times before about the screw top versus the cork and that there is no difference in the quality in fact you'd be more you'd be more pro screw top absolutely yeah but the vivo has the cork and i definitely think that the more expensive wines they just do seem to go for the cork because of that public perception does that absolutely it's the perception that they want to they put in a good cork and when you see when the cork comes out of this for anyone who buys it it's a real cork it's not a composite cork it's not anything they've made up this is a real cork which is used only used these days in French products that would be costing 20, 30, 40 plus euros so they've everything about it they just want to prove and this is the kind of product you can lay down for 10 or 12 years it's only going to improve um, you know it's it's a the, this is a 2012 which is um is drinking fine now but will be fine in six or seven years time okay great and of course they're all available from yourself except for la poderosa you're not selling that to the public you're just selling that into the not selling to any shops okay 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 I hear you. <laughs> so forestal.ie and it's the 25th of October, so two months today until Christmas. So the next time you're in, we'll be talking about wines for Christmas. Absolutely. Uh, it's all about Christmas from now on. Okay, great. Ron, thanks a million for thanks, coming Ron. in tonight. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinter. 
Thanks again to Ron. And if you have a wine question that you'd like me to put to him on his next visit when we'll be focusing on wines for Christmas, please drop me an email with all the details to s.noonan at live.ie. Still to come tonight, I'll be tucking into some homemade nougat, thanks to Mina Rust. And finally, at the end of the programme, I'm out and about in Belfast for the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink monthly slot, which is harvest for the month of October. Now, as you know, I call in to Rosemary Bennis in Sona's health food shop every month for a catch-up. And this month, I was curious to find out more about honey. Let's have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rosemary, we're going to talk about honey today. It's a bit of a minefield which people might not be aware of. They might just be going into their local supermarket, their local shop, picking up their honey and away they go and they don't realise there's actually lots of different types out there. That's right, there is, and you're right. It's like anything, you scratch the surface and there's more to be learned. I suppose your squeezy jar honey, you know, your table honey um, that's commercially available that would be just a couple of euro is a sweetener. Um, It wouldn't have any medicinal value. Um, It maybe feels nice on a scratchy throat, but other than that, it's just a mass-produced sweetener, really. So that's fine if that's what you want. But if you're looking for something a little bit more, you maybe would look out then for maybe honey that's locally produced, that's raw or cold pressed, um, that has maybe active comp- compounds from what the bees are feeding on. And there's, there's a little bit more we can go into on that. Raw means if it's kept under 42 degrees, a food constitutes as raw. And actually in, in, the, in the whole food sort of say vegan vegetarian food world raw is quite a concept you get it now um it's in the last few years we see it a lot on packaging and it doesn't mean like it has a terrible kind of connotation you think it's uncooked or it's not very nice but all it means is it's kept to a temperature where it's it's intrinsic enzymes are left intact and that means that it's good for our gut that's really the thing big thing cut it when you heat excessively you destroy the natural enzymes in food and enzymes are what gives the food a life and basically it's that life energy that gives helps our gut and helps our own energy as well so it's like if you take the raw vegetables that's the best way to eat them in the raw state if you start boiling them if you start doing other things to them maybe not fermented that actually can affect the nutrients in them so it's the same with honey it's similar exactly yeah exactly that's kind of that there's another there's more complexity to it too about like whether it's better or not but yeah it's the same principle so raw means under 42 degrees so usually a food that constitutes as raw would be maybe lightly heated enough just to process it in the honey's case you have to heat it slightly to literally just release it from the hot from the honeycomb from the cells and then but then it preserves its enzymes which are intact and the, the bees are picking those up from the plant pollen all day long for ages and actually that's really what you want so I suppose that's where then honey has its healing properties and its healing powers Um, power sounds strong but it's kind of what we say so we have one here from Bee Active which is a local company well it's it's actually produced in County Tipperary and sourced from beekeepers all over Ireland but the man behind it Conan McDonnell is from Adair and currently living in Arda and he's great because he he researched it specifically to find out were the properties that are in ivy which is a known anti-phlegmatic and bronchodilator as a herb we'd, we'd find it it's a very common and very popular and effective herb for chestiness and cough and cold he wanted to see did the properties that were in the plant transfer to the honey that the bees made from it and he that was his research project when he was studying chemistry in UL or sorry, LIT, and he found yes indeed it did it has the phenols or plant compounds that can actually 
be effective for opening the airways, redu- reducing cough and um, clearing mucus. So that is huge. So therefore, it's medicinal honey. So um, it's packaged now as raw ivy honey, and we would sell it not as a sweetener, but for someone with cough, cold, and chestiness. And it looks very different from your normal standard runny honey. The color of it, for example, yeah. and the texture. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's got all. all pla- this is we had a talk recently with him and Conan. Like he's just a committed beekeeper and it's a whole a whole other world it's amazing the knowledge and the you know the, the level of detail but every the different plants that be different that bees honeybees feed off they all have their own properties when they're when they're trans I suppose when they kind of transmorph into honey the, the ivy in particular from the ivy flower it it granulates really quickly so it will become thick and thick and sticky the way they process it actually they make it quite creamy in its raw state it's really unworkable um as an unprocessed state so they make it more creamy they granulate they, they slightly kind of soften it um, um, but it's totally different to runny honey you have to spoon it out and it's meant to be taken off the spoon and to let sit in the throat as well and it's really 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 soothing that way the colour is different as well all honeys would you know from different flowers I've um, Heather honey is the one people would know here. That's very dark. It's gorgeous, like darker colour. Then you've got like just simple, like a mixed blossom honey would be mixed flowers, very light usually. Acacia honey is almost really clear. So it depends on the property of the plant. I met Conan Down in Dingle at the Irish Food Awards recently and he had won, I think, was it silver yeah. for his Irish blossom honey? And so, I mean, they looked completely different. It looks more like your runny honey yeah. that you'd put on your porridge, for example. Exactly. It's a sweetener. This one is less medicinal. So having said that, all honey is antibacterial and, and, and wound helps with wounds because by literally putting it on a wound, it will keep out bacteria. So it was a well-known antibacterial aid long before we had any swabs and wipes and all the rest of it so but the blossom honey yeah it's exactly it's like a really good version of your cheaper table honey and it's made from mixed flowers it's sourced from beekeepers around the country to keep ensure to ensure supply it's not it is raw also actually they don't they just they, they don't shout it on the label but it is also kept under 42 degrees and so its enzymes are preserved intact and yeah fantastic award silver is great because it's a very um competitive area the honey you can imagine the amount of beekeepers you know in that competition so it's beautiful for beautiful taste they say now with honey, if you eat local honey, it's very good if you have allergies, if you have hay fever. Is that true? Yeah, there is. There's quite a bit behind that. Yeah, absolutely. The idea is, for example, if your sensitivities are triggered by pollen, so there's usually two times of the year that it's worse. There's a spring time and then there's an early summer. I think one is one is for tr- one is when trees are releasing their pollen and the earlier one is for plants, I think. In any case, you could be going along, doing your business, and next thing you're just beset by the sneezing bouts, streaming nose, eyes, just feeling awful because your immune system doesn't distinguish between a genuine attack such as in a virus or a parasite or a bacteria and a very innocent little plant pollen. Okay, So it's a bigger question really because the, the, the real issue there is why is your immune system overreacting to such an everyday trigger? But in any case, it is. So to treat it, the idea would be that you would do this about six months, certainly three months in advance. You would take a little bit of honey that's take that's made out of local pollen every day, like a spoonful every day, and that way you, you desensitize. You give a little dose so that when your body comes along to a full-flung pollen time, say in March or April or May, your body goes, oh, oh, it's okay. I know this guy. I've been having a little bit of him every day. I'm not going to overreact. Calm down, guys. Turn off the fire engine. And you don't get the excessive symptoms, which actually is what 
hay fever is. So it's an interesting one. And actually, we find, I'm not sure where research is on that, but anecdotally, big we, we get we get you know really good feedback on that well a good tip then to start taking that after christmas if you're yeah, prone to it just to see if it if it helps yeah that's exactly mm. what i say it's a bit late usually people start thinking about it about patrick's day because actually that's usually the first sort of pollens come out it's a bit late then to be honest christmas is a great idea so if you have a friend or a family member um who suffers give him a christmas present of about six jars of a good nice honey. Local honey yeah, yeah exactly and uh, conan had made the point as well where you know obviously it's great if you can get the 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 honey from beekeepers in your area and we are lucky here sometimes we have a few really good beekeepers in the West Limerick area and I buy any any honey I can off them to have it but it goes it's like gold it goes really quickly Mm. and people tend to stockpile it for that reason but Conan had made the point that the flora isn't that different in the whole of Ireland you know we're not a country of massive extremes so even if it's honey from Connemara or honey from Kerry or Waterford it's still relatively local the the thing you need to find out is is it um, kept to a low heat in the processing, cold press preferably, and nothing added or nothing processed in it. Okay. The other honey that people will be familiar with is Manuka honey. Yep. Now, I wouldn't be a fan of the taste of Manuka honey. Am I alone in that, or would that be no, a common there's a, there's complaint? A there's a club, there's a group of you. Yeah, no, the Manuka is a very specific taste. Um, people, some people get to like it, but it's quite strong. Um, it's much stronger now, for example, than that ivy honey. Um, Manuka is from the Manuka plant, which is like a, it's basically New Zealand's version of white thorn. I think it's it's a scrubby, hedgy plant. It's It grows very well widely there. So does it all come from New Zealand? Yeah. To my knowledge, and I could be wrong on this, but I think Manuka only grows in New Zealand. Now, maybe I'm wrong in that, but it's certainly it's a natural habitat for the Manuka bush. And it's called, the, when they say there, like, the, like in the bush, they mean like in areas where it's growing wild and rampant um, and the whatever properties are in that, there's a very high antibacterial property in the Manuka flower itself. The bees pick up the pollen from that. They take it back to the hive. Honey is produced. And it, the same, like the ivy honey, the properties in, that they're in the flower stay in the honey. Equally the same at Manuka. So it's a medicinal product. It's definitely not used for just sweetening unless, you know, it's a waste of it really. But a fantastic antibacterial. So for a strep throat, um, stomach ulcers, and these are all researched and trialled, leg ulcers, wound healing, H. pylori, effective against H. pylori, which is that really insidious little tummy bug that upsets people. So yeah, really powerful, powerful food and healing aid. And it's very expensive. It is, it is. There isn't half enough of it for, so for the demand. So it's a supply and demand situation. We, when I started the shop first, we used to have up to factor 30. It's rated in factor, meaning it's antibacterial properties um, per milligram. And um, it goes from 5 to 30. But we can't get 30s anymore. We can't get factor 25. We can't even get factor 20. Because um, they used to be kept in reserve and aged and their properties enhanced. And now there's just, the stocks are depleted. So yeah, it's like, it's, it's very expensive for an older for a higher range one and whenever you say it then about leg ulcers do you put it directly onto the leg yeah, ulcer yeah you can obviously I mean I would you know you have to advise caution and go with the protocols of your healthcare provider but definitely and there's actually um, you know medicated manuka dressings I think they're still available they're certainly um, in, in the in the health system where you you know you get a seal sterile um, gauze dressing with impregnated with manuka honey which is really interesting but you can do that put it on even a cut that's not healing or if you had poor wound healing a little dab of it and like with all honey no not your very cheap table honey but all honey will keep out bacteria so it provides a sterile environment for healing 
Okay, excellent. So honey really is something people should look at this month and maybe incorporate it more into their diet moving forward. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Get a good honey. I mean, it'll cost you about, you know, it'll cost you a few euro more. It'll cost you about twice what you used to pay for a cheaper honey. But like, you don't have to use it for sweetening your baking or anything, you know, but use it judiciously. And it's a great wintertime remedy. I really think it's a good one and particularly the medicinal ones. And we should say quickly before we finish up about the bee active throat lozenges. Oh, yes. Thank you for reminding me. I forgot about those. They've made a very good lozenge and it really is great quality. Um, It's got 25% of the ivy honey in it and that's a huge percentage. Most lozenges will have less than 5% of the active ingredient. I would say if it's a honey lozenge and the, you know it's really just a sugar glucose sweet so this is 25% of the active bit and it's great very very helpful great for a tickly throat yeah Fantastic. really good yeah All right Rosemary thanks so much for talking to Pleasure, me today Sharon. thank you you're listening to the best possible taste on West Limerick 102 FM Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste with me, Sharon Noonan. So far on the show tonight, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants has been providing some invaluable insights into wine from Chile. And just before the break, I was in Sona's health food shop in Newcastle West talking about honey with Rosemary Bennis. Don't forget, if you've missed any of the show so far, it will be up in the podcast later in the week and you'll find the podcast on my website, SharonNoonan.com or you can also subscribe to it free of charge and download it on iTunes or use the podcast app. Still to come tonight, we're celebrating the Northern Ireland Year of Food and Drink with the October Harvest theme. But before that, we're heading over to the phone to County Wicklow, where Mina Rust, producer of Handmade Nougat, is waiting to tell us all about her award-winning tasty treats. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleite. Mina, you're very welcome to the show this evening. I can't believe it's two and a half years since we last spoke. Uh, thank you so much for taking me tonight and it is lovely to hear your voice again. You're so kind now. We have to remind the listeners about Mina's Irish handmade nougat. I'm very posh, I say nougat as opposed <laughs> you, to you, nugget. Right. <laughs> You're from South Africa originally. I am, yes. We've been living here now 16 years. Pretty much Irish by now. And you started making the nougat because you couldn't find any good quality nougat here in Ireland. That's true. I was made redundant in 2011, and then in 2000, and then in 2012, I started making the nougat because I just needed to do something, and I couldn't get the type of nougat that I make in Ireland. So there's great advantages to having your nougat. It's obviously handmade. You you make it at home in your kitchen. Yes, we actually not at home. We have at home. I have a specially dedicated nougat kitchen. I converted our large garage into a little factory. So it's all purpose built. And that's why I can do it gluten free as well, because it's only our nougat ingredients that go into the nougat kitchen. So it's gluten free, it's cholesterol free, there's no artificial colours, flavours or preservatives. So tell us about the ingredients. What goes into nougat? What makes it? Okay, Um, mainly it's honey and nuts. Then we use sugar and glucose to stabilise it. And the white fluffiness comes from egg white. 
Well, just before we came on air there, I had a sneaky little taste of it because it is a bit chewy, so I didn't want to be chewing it on air. That's good. And what flavour was it now? It was soft honey nougat made with almonds, pistachios and cashews, and it was absolutely delicious. I'm so glad you like it. But you have lots of other different flavours there, and some of them have won awards. In fact, your favourite flavour has won a couple of awards. What flavour is that? Yes, that's my almond and fig that comes out of my fruit range. That has won the silver under confectionery range for Blasnahan, the Irish Food Awards. And it also won a gold star at the Great Taste UK Awards. Fantastic. Then my thank you. Then I have a chocolate hazelnut and cranberry, which is also delicious. Um, that has won gold in the Free From Food Awards earlier this year. And my almond and pistachio won bronze at the same Free From Food Awards. So there's absolutely no questioning the quality of these products and the popularity of them whenever you're winning all of these awards. Thank you so much. I do take lots of pride in it. I am a bit of a nougat snob, so I like nougat to be very fresh. And I'm very fussy. I would roast, we roast our own nuts so that you get a good quality. If you sometimes buy roasted nuts, they already taste old. So we roast everything at in-house and everything is done in-house to make sure that the quality is good. Now, the presentation of one of the samples you sent me it came in a lovely silver tin and I believe that you, up until now, you've been keeping these especially for queens like yes. myself being the Queen of Org. Tell us about Queen Matilda. Um, exactly tonight, um, a year ago, I had the wonderful privilege to be um, taken to Belgium with Microfinance Island and it was the first Microfinance Island World Day or Microfinance World Day and um, in the morning, I had to tell about 27 international journalists my story, um, how we make nougat and where we make it, and how I started my business. And that evening, I met with Queen Matilda, and we spoke for about 15 minutes, and she asked me about the business and about my children. And I presented her with a tin. Wow. It's um, hand-embossed. Um, aluminium tins and it was filled with my nougat and my darling daughter wrote her a long letter asking her questions about how being a queen and things like that so that I gave to Queen Matilda a year ago What age is your daughter? She's 10 Oh that's so sweet and did Queen Matilda reply? No unfortunately I asked Hannah what did you write because I never read the, the, the letter and she said oh mommy I just asked her what it is how to be a queen and that she and um, I said, did you put your address on it? She said, no, I didn't. So, Well, if she writes me a letter, I promise I'll reply to it. Please do. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us about where we can buy your nougat. You have an online shop. I do have an online shop. And then um, I have two wonderful distributors. So they distribute my nougat nationwide. I'm also in the Super Values in Dublin, Wicklow and Kildare in the Food Academy section. And in the last week, I was listed with Dunn stores. So I will soon hopefully be in all the Dunn stores nationwide. And it sounds like you're going to be extremely busy. Are you there doing this by yourself or have you employed any people? I actually have been doing everything, making everything on my own until a year ago. And then when I was diagnosed with breast cancer, 
obviously I couldn't make everything myself anymore. So I got a wonderful woman that's working full time now. She's manufacturing a lot for me as well when I'm busy. And um, she helps me with everything else. Well, tell us now about the breast cancer, because this is something I wasn't aware with. How are you getting on with the treatment? Are you finished treatment or at what stage are you with it? I'm finished. I'm actually going next week for my first checkup. Um, It was amazing. I met Queen Matilda on the 19th and on the 30th I went for my mammogram and it was bad news. So my treatment then started um, the first week in December. So I had to cancel all my Christmas plans and the RDS and all those things I had to cancel last year. Um, And then I finished with my radiation. I had chemo, then I had surgery just before bloom and I had finished my radiation the end of June. Um, So far I feel wonderful. I have a short hairstyle now, which I think I'll keep. And um, I feel great. I appreciate everything so much more. I take more time in enjoying things. And I think I'm a much happier person now than what I was a year ago. So every cloud has a silver lining. It's true what they say. Totally, totally. And I kept working. Um, Even some days I just wasn't able to really to do anything. I was just going to the Nougat kitchen and just look at everything and... It gave me, just, it kept my head clear and um, it took my mind off having cancer because it can be so overwhelming and over-consuming and take over your life that keep busy and making the nougat really kept me positive. Well, thanks so much for sharing that with us on air. I wasn't expecting that. And okay. <laughs> it's great to, to hear you sounding so well. And Thank I'm you. delighted for you that your products are doing so well and being continually well received throughout the country. And do keep in touch with us. Best of luck with the checkup next week. And Thank just you. give a call out of your website there so listeners know where to go on and, and order your lovely nougat. Okay, it's Minas. That's M-I-E-N-A-S dot I-E. I'm on Facebook as well, and I just got onto Twitter. I'm a bit useless with that still. I'm still trying to get used to it, but I'm trying my best. I think you're doing very well indeed, (laughs) considering everything that you've been through. Mina, thanks so much for talking to me tonight, and as I say, best of luck next week. Thank you so much, and it was a great pleasure talking to you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, I was talking to Mina Rust, who makes a handmade nougat. Lots of different flavours there and all of them award winning. So do be sure to check out her website. And earlier in the programme, Ron Forrestal from Forrestal Wine Merchants had some insights about wines from Chile and Rosemary Venice from Sona's Health Food Shop was sharing her advice in relation to honey. If you're just tuning in, you can catch the full show later in the week on the podcast, which is on soundcloud.com forward slash food and drink show or pop onto my website, SharonNoonan.com. We're at the final part of the show this evening and it's to find out more about what's happening in Northern Ireland to celebrate the 2016 year of food and drink. 
This month, the theme is Harvest, and I recently had the pleasure of attending the BBC Good Food Show in Belfast. So I had a look around to see who fitted the bill, and who better than a company growing potatoes. So let's have a listen to my chat with Tracy and Claire from Mash Direct. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Tracy, it's great to, to meet you in person. I've heard a lot about this company, Mash Direct. I think it's a very good example of a farm that has diversified and been very innovative. So tell us how Mash Direct came about. Goodness, um, basically in 2003, Martin and myself, we uh, were growing vegetables. Martin is a fifth generation farmer and we were growing vegetables for the wholesale market. And we were finding that our returns for the farm for the vegetables were getting lower and lower. And we thought, my goodness, how are we going to survive as a farm? We need to be creative and think, what can we do to, to really to survive? And that at that time, Martin was out shopping. It was my birthday and he was out looking for a birthday cake. And he noticed people's buying habits and people were very keen to buy just convenient products. And he happened to to, um, think, what can we do with our vegetables to add value? And he said, do you know what we're going to do? We're going to make mashed potato. And that literally is how it all started. So um, the very next day, we looked to see what we could do on our own farm um, to to think about you know the cooking end and so it took, literally it took a whole year of, of planning to really get the thing right there's you know we were trying to do things on a shoestring um, because the cost of setting up any company on investing in machinery and things was so expensive we didn't have that sort of funding to start with so we were we had to be creative so we basically designed and made our own cooker uh, we had a very good friend, Tony Reed, who's a brilliant engineer, and he had, he helped us design it, and his company made it. So that was the that's really how our first cooker started. But it was a whole year in the planning, working with environmental health, working with building control, to get it right because we did not have the um, the funding to make mistakes. When you talk about a convenience product, this is a very natural product. It's not like high sugar, high fat. No, we're very, very fussy about the vegetables in themselves. The, the varieties of vegetables are really important to us. So we are sourcing quite often heritage varieties of vegetables because they have the flavour. Flavour is absolutely paramount. And we don't use any artificial flavourings, colourings. It's all, all our products are as people do at home, as you would cook at home, if you had the time. So you started with mashed potato, but that has grown and diversified into other mashed products. Yes, we have a number of, of mashed products in themselves. We've got carrot and parsnip mash. We've got mashed turnip. We've got carrot, parsnip and turnip. And we then we developed onto the other products like the green cabbage, red cabbage and beetroot. And then we introduced sauces. So we've got cauliflower cheese gratin, broccoli with the cheese sauce. You NPD is really the lifeblood of, of MASH Direct. We're always innovating. We're always bringing out new products. And we are very um, aware of insights. We, are, we would watch the market very carefully and we would do a lot of consumer shows. So we are getting feedback from our consumers and we really value what they're saying and what they like. And you know, we, get, we get new ideas um, ourselves, and, but feedback from other people. And that's why MASH Direct is totally gluten-free as well. And you grow a lot of the produce yourself? We grow the majority. Definitely. We still grow the majority. On, on, from the first few years, we grew everything except for onions because we don't grow onions. Uh, but now we, we wouldn't have, have we're, f- we're farming 1,500 acres, but we, we cannot manage every single 
um, every single product. So we are now, in, I'd say definitely the majority is still grown by ourselves. You've won a few awards as well along the way. Tell us about those. Gosh, we've won many awards and it's, it's so exciting for us because we are very proud of what we're doing. We're very much a family farm, as you know. And it's when other people are judging our products and, and blind tasting. Quite a lot of the judges do not know who's manufacturing or producing the products. And for judges to, to pick us, that's a f- fantastic accolade. So, gosh, we've won great ta- many great taste awards. We've now got 18 Do great taste awards, 18. which is, you know, it is the, from the Guild of Fine Foods. So that's serious, you know, a serious judging. And so we're thrilled with that. We've won a quality award um, in Dublin recently, we were th- which f- for our uh, vegetable bakes, uh, crispy vegetable bakes. And we, I won the, um, in the, the Women in Agriculture uh, Award for Innovation for Ireland. Martin has been an EY finalist for Entrepreneur of the Year. So it's it's recognition for products, for the for the management of the company, and from you know every aspect of the company is really being judged. So really excited by by our awards. They're really really important. When you started out and you told people we're going to do mashed potatoes, I'm sure a lot of them said, "Why would you do that?" Because sure everybody can do that at home, but there obviously is a market for it. Well, people are busy. Lifestyle people, you know, they, they everyone is. It, it's it's crazy. Our lifestyles are very very different. Both quite often, husbands and wives are both both out working. Children are involved in many clubs and and groups. There's where everyone's on the move at all times. But at the end of the day, people want real food. They want quality food, and we are producing what they would do at home if they had time. That's very much the ethos of the brand. It's the taste and texture of real homemade food. Claire, I'm going to ask you now about exporting because you do a lot of of sales at home, but you've started to venture outside of Ireland and I believe Dubai is a big market yes. or a new market for you. That's right. Yes, we export to Dubai with um, a lot of our products like chili baby bakes. That's some of the emerging trends where that has come from to the expat market. We supply to Spinney's, which is similar to Waitrose in Abu Dhabi and Dubai. So because you have a lot of expats out there, they're probably looking for a good mashed potato and other mashed type products that mommy makes at home. Yeah, they are. They're looking for uh, homemade food and something that tastes just like home. Um, So it's bringing home to them. And very often we've had consumers come along to our show and their parents or maybe they've been on holiday in Dubai and they've saw Mash Direct on the supermarket shelves and they think it's fascinating to find a local brand and local produce sitting on the shelves in, in Dubai. When you're looking for export markets and you're doing your desk research, what sort of things are you looking at at that stage? Mashtrack's very proactive in that we attend many trade shows um, in other countries such as Dubai. Um, Jack's actually in America at the minute um, finding out about the emerging markets there. Martin and Jack and our production manager Stanley's going to Seattle next week. Um, so we're very proactive that we, we go across to the trade shows and we speak to retailers and we see what they want. We also speak to consumers over there and find out about their eating habits, their eating trends and really get the insights um, in that country about that market. We also look into market data um, and insights and information about emerging markets, buying patterns, eating trends, what they're shopping 
shopping patterns are, where they shop, what stores, to get a real insight for the end consumer. And that allows us to identify what products we need to launch within that market. Very often, um, we also bring out new products. Um, as Tracy mentioned earlier, new product development is very important and key to the company growing and developing. And we launch products specifically for that market. So we've watched the American market and uh, the Southern fried potatoes that we've just launched and sweet potato fries and carrot and parsnip fries. That's been very common. Um, and um, sweet potatoes very popular in America. So we're, we're bringing their emerging tastes to Northern Ireland, but also supplying them to our export market. Claire mentioned Jack there, and Jack is your son, Tracy. It's very much a family affair, isn't it? Very much so. Um, we've, our eldest son, Lance, he went to um, a college in, in the UK and he read Agri-Food Business and Marketing, so he came straight into MASH Direct. Jack, our second son, he went to Trinity and read History and Sociology. He thought he'd be a journalist and changed his mind just before he did very well in his first degree. And then he went over to London and did a, a Master's in Diplomacy and International Studies. So he was then in America for a while and in Africa and working in London and he saw the growth of MASH Direct and he spoke to Martin and myself and said, you know what, do you think I could come and join MASH Direct because I can see what's happening and the stimulation and the excitement and the opportunities and he's such a diplomat. And so he's, um, he was the last one to join us. So two sons, both in the company, through their own choice, I hasten to add. It's so important that kids don't feel obliged. Um, but it was in their DNA. They were very excited with the food industry and they could see the opportunities. And how lucky are we? And you must have a great sense of pride that they like they have chosen to come in and that they are there. Delighted, yes. And it's really, really important. And it's, I think in Ireland, the family business um, is really, really important. There's a lot of really, really strong family businesses. And it's a very different type of dynamic for a company. But the minute people hear that we're a family business, they, oh, you know, they start to listen and are, very, are, are genuinely very interested and, and excited. So what is next for MASH Direct, Claire? Well, uh, we would like to export further, obviously, within the UK, get national brand listings um, and be a national household brand within the UK, then obviously grow to bigger markets such as America, Jack's there, um, testing out the waters over there at the minute, um, maybe go into Spain, and there's a few talks and negotiations going on in the background with other countries, so... Yeah, then the next stage maybe after national is a global nat- brand. Um, so we'll work, work there and hopefully develop uh, markets in different countries. All very exciting, Tracy. Yes, and, very, and stimulating. Um, just it'll be interesting, we're doing CL, which is a very interesting trade show in France next week. And you just never know who comes by to, to a stand and you know, just... Um, it suddenly that's that's where our Dubai business came from. Somebody just happened to come by and said, "Oh, we'd love to come and see Mash Direct next week. We would like to um, take your products to Dubai." So it's just it's a it's a very exciting time. But I think the um, what I should say is Martin, my husband, who's the the farmer. It was Martin's idea. Mash Direct was his idea. He 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 is the entrepreneur. That's why he why spotted me. Ernst and Young spotted him. So he is the one that has really had the the the, the risk because entrepreneurs are risk takers, and so I think you know, the the whole brand started from Martin, and the rest of us are we all have our different um, strengths within the company. We're all you know, obviously directors, um, but I think that the and he is the one you know Kale 
kale was you know, a, a very new product for our, well Ireland it's something you know, it's a superfood and we are growing kale in a really big way now but just he has the 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 foresight of what trends to go with as well so and he wants the, he's the grower at the end of the day so we have we have to grow the quality vegetables to be able to produce the quality product for the for the households well a risk worth taking and continued success it's been great to talk to you today and thanks so much for your time thank you very much indeed cheers chin chin salut schleinter that brings us to the end of tonight's show thanks to ron forrestal rosemary bennis mina rust Tracy Hamilton and Claire Forster. Next week, the focus is going to be on Food in the Age, the boutique symposium, which took place today and yesterday in Galway. And I'll be welcoming guest presenter Manuela Spinelli to sit in the hot seat. So I'll be back behind the scenes again and my dulcet tones will return in two weeks' time. Until then, bon appétit. Do you want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!